In the beginning was the world. Oh, I see. You think uh, religion is for suckers and easy marks and mollycoddles, huh? He's just a You think Jesus is some kind of a sissy, eh? Jesus had guts. Hi and welcome to History Makers, I'm Matt Prater. Today we're speaking to Pastor Andrew Evans. Our guest hosts are Robbo and Shelley from the Vision Radio Network. Well it's a great pleasure to have a real pioneer with us uh, today, Andrew Evans, a pastor from Australia who's been involved with uh, pioneering a church, pioneering, or not pioneering, but uh, heading up a denomination for many years and also pioneering a political party in Australia, the Family First Party. Uh, Thanks for your time today, Andrew. Great joy to be with you. So, I mean, you've got a, such an amazing story. I mean, just as you look back over the years, some of the things you've been involved with, I mean, going right back to the fact that you were born to missionary parents in India. So you mm-hmm. really started out, you know, literally out there on the front line and you've sort of been that sort of pioneering uh, person all the way through your life, haven't you? Uh, yes. Um, you know, you don't sort of plan these things. It uh, just opens up bit by bit and you walk step by step. So here it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, there's been lots of steps because uh, I, mean, I guess it's no secret that you're in your 70s now. You're uh, yeah. well and truly past retirement age, but you just se- seem to keep on going. You don't uh, don't have any plans to stop soon. No, I, I retired from Parliament when I was 73, and I'm 75 now. And um, the doors keep opening, so I keep walking through them. <laughs> I'm up that's here. Amazing. To, I'm up here to try and. Uh, give Wendy Francis a leg up with Family First. Mm-hmm. Um, we're now the fifth largest party in Australia and hold four members of parliament, hold the balance of power federally and in South Australia, and a part of the balance of power in New South Wales. Wow. So it's uh, from what we started, we hadn't planned any dramatic thing like that. It was just me mm. having this feeling about politics. Wow. And it just grew. Wow. Did you ever think that you'd get into politics? Is it something that you've been interested in your whole life? Or conversely, were you, you know, very turned off by politics? Look, I had no thought of going into parliament. But looking back, I've always been a bit of an activist on uh, things that I thought were wrong. For instance, uh, my first church in South Australia after I left Bible school, they, they wanted to set up a, a hotel in the particular suburb where the church was. And the rules were that you had to have a, a community vote on that. And I can remember getting all stirred up as <laughs> I was 25 years of age and I was going to block this pub, whatever. And we stirred people up and we won the vote and blocked the pub. Mm. And then when I went to New Guinea and we were, uh, there they were putting on a, a fundraising venture in the town and they were having a, a wheel, a gambling wheel thing in, as part of this fundraising. And I remember getting really uptight about this and uh, wrote to the committee and threatened them that I would tell all our congregation not to go to their fundraisers. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so it was sort of something I always, always uh, was a bit of an activist, mm. but no plans to become a politician ever. But if I saw things that weren't right, and that's part of the gospel message, really, it's to preach the good news, but to resist evil. And a lot of times our pastors preach the good news but they're afraid to get involved in the political process and resist evil. But if we don't, then the other guys get in. Mm. And I guess that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, obviously, 
if you're resisting those things before they become law, for example, in the political scene, yeah. it's a lot better than sort of having something come into effect and then you need to try and counteract that, which can have, you know, can take a long time or sometimes it never happens. Very rarely do you reverse a bad law. Very rarely. Um, abortion, never been able to be reversed. Divide all the efforts. Uh, the one that we did in South Australia reverse was um, marijuana. They had a law in South Australia in the 80s that if you uh, wanted to, you could grow 10 marijuana plants for private use. Can you imagine? Mm. 10 plants for private use. And in that, in that time, I was, uh, got politically active in the sense that I got our congregation to write letters to all the politicians opposing it. Anyhow, it was still passed, and then they discovered they'd set it up, set up a little cottage industry for marijuana growing, and the eastern states send truckloads and get oh, really? marijuana plants without having to worry about it. It became quite a, a lucrative uh, industry for the growers. So then they cut it back to three, the politicians. So they went, they did go back, but that rarely happens. Then they cut it back to one. And we've been fighting in South Australia to obliterate it altogether. So it's very hard to return things once they've gone. Mm. It's a divorce. They've never been able to change that. All those things, bad laws, they've never been able to reverse them. Yeah. Let's go back to your earlier years. I mean, we mentioned that you, you grew up or you were born into a missionary family in India. Um, and you did have an involvement with missions yourself as an adult in Papua New Guinea. Mm -hmm. uh, but what about your you growing up years? Were you in India for a long time? Yeah, I was there for 11 years, and uh, I went back last year to the 75th anniversary of the church my father started, and I saw the school and the hospital where I was born. It was quite a fascinating time. Um, and I also saw the house where my mother had her first convert, and in the slums, and it's still there today, and they still have a home group in it, Nearly 80 years later, wow. the uh, the first convert has died, but the uh, her daughter is still going on with God and all her grandchildren. She must have about 10 or 15 grandchildren, and they're universally, university trained and spiritual kids, and you see the gospel lift. So it's exciting mm. to see what happens. Uh, you mentioned uh, the different concepts that God was revealing to you in terms of church growth. Can you expand on some of those concepts that uh, you came into? Yeah, look, I've got a book on it um, or a, a pamphlet. Some churches, some pastors have actually taken them verse by verse and seen it work. It's not based on uh, personality. It's not based on the best music in town. It's just based on biblical concepts. And there's 12 of them I worked on. One of them, of course, the first one was unity, that the church had to be united if it was going to move forward. Then came prayer. Then came spiritual authority. Then came team ministry. Then came evangelism, music. You go through the worship. You go through these 12 concepts, which any church can do. And uh, people have tried it. And, in fact, I've tried it when I was, after I left Paradise with uh, the 4,000, the state executive said to me, would I fill in for a small church that had a split? And they were down to 40. 
And at first I resisted. I said, no, look, if I'm going to be a pastor again, I was, I've just retired from a pastor at the age of 65 and I would have stayed on. And as I'm debating with the state executive, I felt the Lord say to me, I want you to go and build up broken down churches. So I took this little pokey thing that lost their building. <laughs> we were hunting around for a hall and here I was <laughs> driving around. And I stayed there for four months and we built it up from 40 to 100, got them out of debt. And so I put all those principles into practice Mm -hmm. and they worked. Then as soon as I put a new pastor in there, another church rang up and the next day and they said, look, uh, we haven't had a pastor for six years. They had a building. They dropped from 600 to 35 in six years without a pastor. So they said, would you come? So I said, I'll come for three months. And... um, the first week I was there, I felt the Lord say to me, you're going to be here longer than you think. <laughs> and uh, I stayed a year, and we built it up to 200 and handed it on to another pastor. So the principles of church growth can work anywhere. Mm, that's fantastic. I guess that's the thing that what you're saying, it's a, it's a biblical principle. It's not like yeah. a program per se. So well, right. if you, you know, do this on these th- days of the week, then your church is going to grow. Absolutely. See, some of the some of the concepts that people have are impossible for the smaller churches. They cannot have the most uh, equipment. They can't have the best music. They can't have all the things that people would say you've got to have to make it work. Well, I say that uh, it can still work if you follow the principles. Mm. Is it possible for a church to grow too quickly, to get too big too quickly and kind of fall over in a heap because it's gotten so big? I think I think there's always a danger. Ours never grew that quick we mm-hmm. we just grew as i said 150 a year and the the one of the concepts we felt god gave us was that i'll bring them in when you look after them as i want them looked after and he said uh, virtually there's people out there thousands of them that are looking for god but i take i put them in a church and they're not looked after and they this the state often is worse in the than the previous. So we had a very strong follow-up, caring, discipling program. So a new Christian uh, would immediately be chased up and have a six weeks in their home courses doing that. And then they'd be encouraged to do a three-month course of uh, instructions on discussion format, not a, a big shot preaching from the front saying, this is how it's done. There'd be a discussion on each subject, and they'd discuss amongst themselves. And we found people who did that three months course, we kept 70% of those people. Um, so I, I wasn't an evangelist who was reaping hundreds and thousands of souls, um, although in the 25 years we saw 25,000 people made decisions for Christ in that church, but not all through me. We had guest speakers and those kind of things. But I determined that those I did get, I was going to make sure they got established. Mm, Fantastic. So then after that, I mean, you're 65 years old, you're retiring from a a very full and active pastoral life, and then you decide you're going to move into politics. (laughs) What was the process within that? Was it something God had been speaking to you about for a while? Did you wrestle with it for a while, or did you just jump straight into it? 
Look, it was for about 12 months I had this feeling that I should get involved in politics. I, I, it seemed a weird thing because at 65, you know, you retire, you don't get into politics and no one wants you and I just couldn't shake the thing. It went on for about six months and then I thought, well, I better look around and see which party I'm going to join. I had no concept of starting a party. And uh, I looked around and I thought, well, you know, when you're 65, the Liberal don't want you, the Labor don't want you, uh, the Democrats I didn't wasn't keen on them, and the Greens I was not keen on them, them either. But there was one guy who appears on TV a lot now here called Nick Xenophon. Um, he holds a balance of power in Canberra along with our candidate. And he stood for Parliament as a no-pokies party. And I thought, okay, look, I'll join him. I, I, in fact, I stood on the... This is one of these active things I did when he... When they were putting in the laws for pokies, I stood on the steps of Parliament House as part of a protest to say I was against pokies. So he ran this party, no-pokies party. He got elected. And uh, I wrote to him after six months of this feeling that I should get involved... And I said, look, Nick, I'm available. If I can help, I wouldn't mind joining your party. And he never answered my letter. So I forgot about it. I thought maybe this thought's crazy. So I never worried about it. But every day I couldn't shake it. I want you to get involved in politics. I want you in politics. So after a year, uh, my associate, I shared with him, and he runs a Christian radio program. He runs Life FM in South Australia. Sunday Night Live he used to run. I said, look, I got this thing and I wanted to uh, go in Nick Xenophon's party and he didn't uh, respond to my letter. He said, oh, I'm meeting Nick this week. I'm going to interview him on, on Life <laughs> FM. He said, um, I'll ask him. I said, no, no, don't, don't push it, Paul. I said, look, if it comes up naturally, uh, let's see where it goes. So in the middle of the conversation, Nick Xenophon says to Paul, you ought to get involved in politics, out the blue. And... Paul says, I'm not interested. But he says, Andrew Evans is, and he wrote to you, and he asked you, he wanted to join your party, and you never answered. He said, no. He said, look, I've got enough candidates. I don't need any more. He said, but why doesn't he start his own on family values? And it was Nick Xenophon that encouraged me to start my own party. Now, the beauty of that was when, when Family First really started to hit the federal scene, Many of the journalists said, oh, this is religious right from America and they're getting money from the AOG and they had all these great theories about (laughs) family first and how was the AOG party and everything. So I was able to say to them, you go and talk to Xenophon. (laughs) It was his idea, not mine. (laughs) So when when I got this thought, I uh, thought, well, I better go and talk to Ashley. He was now a pastor of the church. And I went round and sat down to have a coffee and I began to chat about this feeling. And he stopped me and he said, look, let me tell you what's happening to me. He said, for the last two nights, I've, we've been in a pastor's retreat. And he said, God has been waking me up through the night and saying, if you don't hold the line over the next 10 years in the political process, you won't be able to reverse it. Right. He said, there's some bad decisions going to come up in the next 10 years. He said, so you need to get involved in politics. So he talked to his staff. He said, I don't know what that means, whether it's a lobby group or what we should do. So when I began to tell him my story, they said, oh, well, maybe, you know, it was <laughs> God sort of saying you get involved. 
So that's how we kicked off. You were elected in the first election yeah. when since you started the party, which is was history. Like no one had ever done that before. That's true. That's true. And it's basically been onward and upward. I mean, obviously that was state based, but then it's gone federal and other states as well. Yeah, when, when I got elected, it did cause a stir, and I began to get a lot of emails from all over Australia saying, "Will you start a party in our state?" And my first reaction was. Look, I've just come through an election campaign. There's nothing more exhausting than election campaign. I said, come back in 12 months. I said, just leave me alone to get to, I'm, tr- I'm trying to find my feet as in this new career at 66. If you're interested, come back in 12 months. Well, they did. And uh, we began to find people all over the country who were interested. And so uh, we just followed it through. And uh, our first... To a federal election came out the blue for everyone and it really shocked them because we nearly got four senators elected in their first effort. Uh, I don't know why the others not get, never got over the line. Maybe it was our inexperience that would have uh, created problems for us at that stage because we were all very inexperienced. But John Lewis just missed out by 1%. In Queensland, you had uh, Jackie Patrisma in Tasmania missed out by 350 votes. Mm. She's, by the way, in, uh, stood now for the Liberals and got elected, and she's in the Parliament in Tassie for the Liberal Party. But uh, I rang her and I says, congratulations, you're not going to let down on your values. She's no way. I said, well, you'd be a good family first person in the liberal camp. Mm. And she she's really done a great job. So she missed out ver- and very by that close vote. Then we had um, Andrea Mason, Aboriginal girl, a brilliant girl. She, used, she was my PA. She's a, a lawyer. And she missed out by 1,000 votes. Wow. And Fielding, which none of us expected to get in, got in. Mm. And so uh, I just couldn't work that out. I can't ex- still explain it. <laughs> <laughs> well, the Senate is a very confusing thing, isn't it, the way that the whole the voting system works with that. So there are so many different combinations and permutations of how it can all um, you know, outplay. Obviously, we've got an election. What's the, the, um, the plan for you? Do you have like a, a target or a goal that you'd like to see the family first do nationally? Uh, yeah, look, we've got a candidate in, in Western Australia, very good lady. Uh, we've also got uh, Steve Fielding standing again. Um, but the two we think have got the best chance is Wendy Francis here in Brisbane. She's rock solid on our values, but she's got a lot of skills. She's a background of, as an editor of the Baptist magazine. Uh, she's a good organiser, and uh, she's a grandmother, by the way. Uh, she's not 50 yet, as I understand, but uh, she's a great lady. And uh, if we can get her elected, that would be terrific. And also in South Australia, we've got a guy called Bob Day, who uh, we believe will get up. He just decided to leave the Liberal Party because they tended to go further left. You know, homosexuality was something that they were no longer resisting. And they were, there was just such a... So many of them had moved towards the left that he became disillusioned. And he came with us. And he's standing in South Australia. Definitely something to think about as we go towards the next election. Mm. Thanks so much for your time. Pleasure. If you'd like to download this interview, just go to www.historymakersradio.com and also you can make a donation if you'd like. I'm Matt Prater. Have a great week. History Makers.